Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 512. Welcome in. I uh, am recording this episode in two parts. I would imagine for the audio-only listeners, there will be no change. I mean, I'll tell you, I'm about to cut, and then you'll hear like a weird sound, and then it'll cut, but there really should be no difference. If you're listening on iTunes, you shouldn't even really be able to tell. But if you're watching on YouTube, uh, the first half of the show is being recorded right now. Then about halfway-ish, roughly, through the show, I'm going to cut and record the rest tonight after dark. Now, if I don't get it to it tonight, I'll record the rest of it tomorrow, and this is all for nothing. But I was driving over here to my recording spot, and I was kind of like, what am I going to do for the full thumbnail on YouTube? Is it going to be the shot from during the daytime or the shot from nighttime? I'm not really sure. That's kind of a fun thought. Like, what am I going to do? I, I don't know. Probably use the shot from tonight because I like the lighting better at night, to be totally honest. Um, but anyway, recording the show in two parts. And if there's a weird cut halfway through, I'll explain what's going on. But I'll cut and it'll be nighttime. And it's kind of a hilarious thought to me, actually, to think about. Someone on YouTube probably clicked on this video with a thumbnail that was uh, me in the dark. Now it's daytime and they're like, what, 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 what was this? What happened? How is that possible? That's what happened. Unless I can find some creative way to like blend daytime Zach and nighttime Zach and like cut it across or something. I don't know. Well, so I'll play around with the thumbnail, do the best I can. But other, anyways, uh, welcome in 500, episode 512. Let's talk about Monday night football. On Monday night football, the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Raiders 30 to 29. Shout out to Kansas City, man. They were down 17 to nothing. They came back and won. Patrick Mahomes had a great game. Kansas City tight end Travis Kelsey went off. He had seven catches for only 25 yards, but four touchdown catches on the goal line. My girlfriend's brother was losing fantasy football going into the Monday night game. He has Patrick Mahomes and he has Travis Kelsey on his team. I would imagine he walked away from Monday night football very happy having won fantasy football. Travis Kelsey, not a lot of yards, a lot of production on the goal line, four touchdowns. Uh, Casey is now four and one. And the inverse is true about the Las Vegas Raiders. They are now one and four to start the year. And I swear this team is like allergic to winning. It's almost like the Raiders don't want to win games. For example, Travis Kelsey, we talked about a lot already, had four touchdowns on the goal line last night. And after the first three touchdowns on the goal line, you would think they'd go, hey, on the goal line, we got to pay extra attention to this guy. He's killing us. But nah, you know what the Raiders did? On his fourth touchdown, the Raiders said, we're actually just not going to guard him. We're going to leave Travis Kelsey wide open on the goal line somehow for his fourth touchdown. Like, how does that happen? Are you kidding me? It's weird little mistakes that are killing the Raiders right now. You know, before that, before leading to that touchdown, by the way, the Raiders had stopped KC on third down. Had him stopped, then KC kicked a field goal and missed. It was a tremendous victory for the Raiders. They're down 24 to 23 with the ball, and they stopped Kansas City's offense. But wait a minute. Guess what? The Raiders got called for defensive holding on a field goal. Like, what? You were holding on a field goal? And there, there's some technique. It's like a pull and shoot kind of thing. I don't know. It's just stupid. Like, what are you doing? 
<laughs> you're not, I don't understand, man. It, it's a dumb penalty. The penalty gave Kansas City a first and 10, led to another touchdown. Basically, it went from a stop and zero points to Vegas handing Kansas City a touchdown. Then on the next drive, Derek Carr responds. He throws a beautiful touchdown. He's stepping up in the pocket on the run, throws a long touchdown to Devonta Adams down the middle. Devonta Adams beats double coverage. It was beautiful. And I'm sitting at home going, awesome, amazing. It's going to be a tie game, 30 to 30. And no, uh, the Raiders decided to go for two. And man, I, I have defended teams in the past for going for two. Like, for example, when Baltimore was playing the uh, Buffalo Bills earlier this year, within inside the two-minute warning, they go for two to try to get the, the win, and they missed it. And that stinks, but I, I get it. Like, you don't want to go to overtime with Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. Like, that's not any fun. And if it was inside the two-minute warning, I would have defended this move, actually. I would have said, you know what? Fair enough. You know what? I, I don't want to go. I would rather lead 31-30 to 30 than risk overtime against Patrick Mahomes because you're not guaranteed to get the ball back. So inside two minutes, I would have understood. Here's the problem. Um... <laughs> There was four and a half minutes left in the game, and the Raiders went for two to try to take a 31 to 30 lead. They didn't get it, by the way, so Kansas City held the lead 30 to 29, instead of it being a tie game 30 to 30. And the Raiders did actually get the ball back. They got the ball back with two minutes and 29 seconds left, plenty of time to put together a drive. However, now they were down by one point. There's added pressure. And on Monday Night Football, the Raiders just repeatedly made their lives more difficult for some reason. Their one and four has been a bad start to the year. Bad start to the Josh McDaniels era in Vegas. And all three losses, by the way, have been by, sorry, all four losses have been by one score. They've lost by a combined 14 points this year. Close game after close game, one of them in overtime. And it's almost more painful that the Raiders have been so close to winning so many times. It's just they keep finding new ways to lose football games. And things are pretty dang bad in Denver with Nathaniel Hackett, the new head coach there. It's not that bad in Vegas. Like, I know they have more losses, but it's actually, all things considered, not been a horrible, horrible year for the Raiders. But it's the little things that are killing them. It's these little decisions. It's little penalties. It's a thing here and there. And it's just like you can't. You can't keep making this many small mistakes and expect to win. And I called it, by the way. I just want to say, you know, the Raiders quarterback, Derek Carr, is having a fairly good year. Going into the year, I made a video about every, I made a topic in a video about every single quarterback before the season started. And, and my, my kind of topic of conversation for Derek Carr was, uh, he's going to have a pretty good year and probably still not make the playoffs. Well, he had a, two more touchdowns on Monday night, zero turnovers, and they're still losing. Derek Carr, I said he's going to have a good year and probably still not make the playoffs, and that's exactly what's likely going to happen. The Raiders are in bad shape. They play Houston next week. Houston is a bad football team. It's a great opportunity for the Raiders to get a second win of the year and try to get back on track. But can you imagine? Can you imagine? I can, unfortunately. I can see a reality where the Raiders find a way to lose in the last second to Davis Mills and the Houston Texans. Can you imagine if they lose that game? They start one and five. Week six, they lose to Houston. They'd better win next week. Like the Raiders cannot afford to lose next week at Houston. I feel like they haven't been able to afford to lose for two weeks in a row now, but they still have found, it's just like, oh my gosh. 
the way they lost to Kansas City was extra painful because it was all the little mistakes. You, you hold on a field goal that Kansas City missed. You leave Travis Kelsey wide open on the, like, bazillion touchdown for him on the goal line against the Raiders. You go for two and make an unforced error for some reason and make your life even more difficult. I don't know. Basically, the only other thing worth talking about from this game, other than, you know, you effusively praised Patrick Mahomes, and he made this throw. I, I, I want to kind of collect some of the best throws of the year and put them all in some video or something, but he steps up and, and like, flicks the ball forward somehow with, like, half a throwing motion to Marquez Valdez-Scantling for a first down, and you're like, I don't know how he did that. About every game, Mahomes makes some kind of throw where you're like, I, I don't know how he did that. Now, there was a really bad roughing the passer penalty on Chris Jones, he sacked Derek Carr. Derek Carr fumbled. Chris Jones landed on him with his body weight, which you're not supposed to do that, but I don't know what you do. Like, you can't even sneeze on a quarterback, which <laughs> that's a whole load of conversation, maybe. I shouldn't say it that way. But you you have to be so careful with quarterbacks today. It's ridiculous. I played quarterback in college. I, you would think I'd be defending quarterbacks, but I don't. I just feel bad for defenders. I don't know what you do. I don't know how you tackle a quarterback or even get near a quarterback anymore. It's not a new thing for the NFL to have stupid roughing the passer calls. It's been going on for a while now, but this one was extra ridiculous. It was a play where he sacked Derek Carr. The ball comes out. It's a fumble. He he recovers the fumble, and they call a penalty for some reason, and it extends the drive for the Raiders. There's a simple solution here. The NFL needs to make it so that you can review roughing the passer calls, very similar to the way you can targeting. I think of college football, they review targeting in a very good way. And I, I, sometimes it gets overturned and called off. Sometimes it gets confirmed. I like it. But make the NFL look at a replay. Make the refs. If I wish they'd had to look at a replay of that call last night so that even if they still call it roughing the passer, like I saw a ref today defending the ref somehow. Some NFL official was like, that's the right call. Okay, but then you better look at it because if you're going to double down on that being a penalty, I want you to at least have to look at it again and really, truly like sit in that decision because that's pretty absurd to call that roughing the passer. If you're going to make that a penalty, you have to at least, at least review it and double down so you have to own and admit the silliness of the rules that are currently in place in the NFL. I just, I, I feel so bad for anyone playing defense in the NFL. Why would you play defense, man? You play receiver or a quarterback if you're playing football or offensive line if you're too big. But I would rather play tight end than offensive line. I'd do anything I could to play a receiving position because defenders just get shortchanged, man. Like some some guys want to hit people, and I get it. But that's such a hard job. Playing corner in the NFL, playing defense in the NFL, it's just getting harder and harder. And I, when you if you're in high school picking positions, dude, play receiver. Anything you can do, you make more money, your life is easier, the rules are slanted to help you. I would not want to play defense in the NFL. It's just so infuriating sometimes to watch some of the calls that are made, and um, I feel bad for defensive players. By the way, Raiders tight end Darren Waller left the game early with a hamstring injury. He's not done nothing this year, but Darren Waller is a guy who wants a new contract. And for someone who wants to get paid a lot of money, he's done very little this year. He's got one touchdown catch. In my opinion, five games into the year, Darren Waller has not done anything to earn a big new contract extension. And uh, I'm a little bit like kind of looking at Darren Waller with a side eye going like, okay, you want the big contract, but the production just isn't following you. 
All right, let's have some fun. I want to do something I love. I want to talk about my favorite storyline of the year so far. Uh, I did not see this coming at all. I, people clown on me. I don't really care. I, I, I remember making fun of Geno Smith being named the Seattle Seahawks starting quarterback. And what's played out has been hilarious and amazing. Geno Smith is the current starting quarterback in Seattle. He is outplaying Seattle's former starting quarterback, Russell Wilson. Remember, Russell Wilson signed a five-year $245 million contract before the year started. Geno Smith has gone, he's got a one-year contract. He's making only $3.5 million this year. Through five weeks, this is how Geno Smith and Russell Wilson's numbers compare. Geno has thrown for 1,305 yards. Russell Wilson has 1,254. Geno's thrown for more passing yards. He's got nine touchdown passes. Russ only has four. Geno's got fewer interceptions, two interceptions to Russell Wilson's three. So he's got more touchdown passes, fewer interceptions. Geno's got 10 total touchdowns. Russ has five. Geno's completing 75% of his passes while Russ is only completing 59. Less than 60, which is horrible. Both quarterbacks are two and three, so it's not like Geno's winning way more games or anything, but Geno's ahead, man. Geno's playing a lot better than Russ is playing so far this year through five games. I get it. Russ is learning a new offensive system. But, man, when you consider how much more money Russ is getting paid, it's insane that Geno has way more touchdowns, a better completion percentage. It's close in yards, but Geno is leading. Seattle fans were, I think, getting really tired at the end of the Russell Wilson era with the constant complaints that, well, the the team isn't supporting Russ. I was one of the people saying that. I was one of the people saying, well, the offensive line isn't good enough. They're not getting Russ enough support. Looks like I was wrong, man. And and people in Seattle that were loyal to their team are feeling very vindicated now. They got rid of Russ. They let him go. They were called stupid. They were blamed and said they didn't support Russ. But today it looks like Seattle did the right thing unequivocally. And if you're a Seattle fan, I bet you're just gleefully laughing at home going, oh, yeah. How does it feel to massively overpay a terrible quarterback? Ha-ha! I don't know. I, I like Russ. I'm rooting for Russ. But um, the more you watch what's going on in Denver, he just, it's not going well. And I, I he does a lot of stuff online. You, there are a lot of videos of Russ running around. You see the video of him like on the field, just going like this, like just he closing his eyes and like opening his arms and just kind of looking around the stadium, but his eyes are closed. So he's like feeling the presence of whatever the hell, like, ah, it's pretty weird, man. And Russ, I, I would love to know, there's not a lot of guys who talk about their former quarterback with as much disdain as Richard Sherman clearly has for Russell Wilson. Now they went through a traumatic loss together, but when people look back on Peyton Manning, or Tom Brady, or Drew Brees. Like, people talk about how much they loved playing with Tom Brady, how much they loved playing with Peyton Manning, how much they loved playing with Drew Brees. There are a lot of people that talk about their time with with Russell Wilson, and it's not good. Like, a lot of people that play defense in Seattle do not have good things to say about Russell Wilson. So, oh man, his legacy is just getting tarnished more and more, and I think the most shining example of that, the, the biggest example of Russ just falling off a cliff and not playing very well. And certainly nowhere near playing up to the level uh, uh, he should, given the amount of money he's making, is Geno Smith, who for years wasn't even a starter in the NFL, is 
very much outplaying Russell Wilson. And it's not just numbers. It's not just the stats. But it's when you watch games, you're like, he's more efficient. He's making better decisions. He looks in sync with his receiving core. Like, it's not good. And uh, I find it. I love chaos. I love when unexpected things happen. And as someone who just loves chaos, I, I love the fact that Geno Smith is way outplaying Russell Wilson. But um, it's it's crazy. And I just, as the year goes on, every week I'm going to go, is it is it still happening? Is it still this bad? And I, I can't even imagine if, if by week 18 at the end of the year, Geno's got way better numbers than Russell Wilson. I'm just going to go, I, I I cannot believe that. Like, you would think at some point Russ is going to settle into Denver's offense and it's going to fix and get figured out. I keep waiting. I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And, you know, we're coming off Thursday Night Football, the worst loss probably of Russell Wilson's career, the worst game he's ever played. I don't know. As the year goes on, I'm going to keep paying attention to this one. I I love it. I love that Geno Smith is outplaying Russell Wilson. And uh, I did not see that coming at all. All right, um, college football rankings are out. Here is the top. I'm going to give you the top 13, not top 10, but the top 13 through the undefeated teams in college football. Here is the top 13 teams in college football, according to the Associated Press. Number one is 6-0 Georgia. Number two is Ohio State, who's 6-0. The first um, 11 teams are all undefeated. So number three is Alabama. Number two is DJ Uwe Ungale and Clemson. Number five, Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. Number six is Tennessee. Number seven is undefeated USC. Number eight is Oklahoma State, a Big 12 school. Number nine, Lane Kiffin, Jackson, Dart, and Ole Miss. They're undefeated. Number 10 is Penn State. Uh, they're undefeated. James Franklin. Number 11, Chip Kelly and UCLA. They're undefeated. They're 6-0. and Number 12 is the first one-loss team in college football. That's Oregon. Their only loss is to Georgia. And people find that loss uh, and their schedule so far more, uh, you know, I I guess impressive than TCU, who's also 5-0. But TCU is ranked number 13 behind Oregon. So the question I find interesting is who's got a legitimate shot at the college football playoff? This weekend, Tennessee plays Alabama. Penn State plays Michigan. TCU and Oklahoma play each other. Only one team is going to be left undefeated. So probably Tennessee will be one loss. Probably Penn State's going to lose for the first time. TCU and Oklahoma, I've got no idea. I kind of like TCU. I'd like to see them win. So I guess we'll go TCU. But I I have no idea who's going to win between TCU and Oklahoma. I'm going to watch that game for sure. It's going to be fun. I love myself some Big 12 football. Big 12 football, high scoring, chaotic, fun. It's, It's a blast. Ole Miss right now, they're 6-0. Lane Kiffin is their head coach. Jackson Dart, their new quarterback. The next three games for Ole Miss, they play Auburn, LSU, and then Texas A&M. So Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin could be 9-0 when they play Alabama on November 12th, which I, I love that thought. I'm rooting for that. Nick Saban against his former assistant, Lane Kiffin. I want both teams to be undefeated going in unless Tennessee can somehow upset Alabama. Uh, that'll be fun and exciting. I'm telling you, that that Tennessee-Alabama game this weekend, very exciting matchup. I think it's going to be fun. Ohio State and Michigan are going to play each other on November 26th. So that will, uh, one of those teams is going to walk away, at least with their first loss, if not sooner. UCLA and USC are going to play each other on November 19th. They could play each other twice, actually. USC, if, let's say USC beats UCLA on November 19th. 
but UCLA only has one other loss all year, which is the only loss all year for UCLA is to USC. The way the Pac-12 works out this year is that the two teams with the best record in the Pac-12 play each other, regardless of North-South, the, the divisions and North and South are gone in the Pac-12. So you could see UCLA and USC play each other twice this year, once on November 19th, and then maybe again a rematch in the Pac-12 title game. Uh, the other team that has a shot is probably Oregon. We'll see what happens there. Right now, there are probably six teams with a legitimate shot at the four spots in the college football playoff. I would say Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, uh, and USC, and, and maybe Michigan is my sixth one out there. But I, I just, I don't, I'd be surprised at that. I, I'm curious if UCLA can win out and even beat USC. Um, you know, the Big 12 schools, TC or Oklahoma State, one of them could go undefeated and create an interesting, compelling argument for why they should be in the college football playoff. Alabama and Georgia are going to play each other, presumably in the SEC title game. And then you got to ask yourself, would a one-loss Georgia or Alabama make it in over an undefeated USC or an undefeated Big 12 school? I don't know. I think Clemson is likely going to get in. Their schedule is pretty straightforward throughout the They got to be undefeated uh, Syracuse uh, in two weeks. But I, I feel pretty good about Clemson getting in and winning the ACC title and making the college football playoff. The winner of the SEC most certainly is going to get into the college football playoff, whether that's Georgia or Alabama, remains to be seen. Probably Ohio State will be the Big Ten winner. They'll go in. Maybe Michigan can beat Ohio State, but I'm, I highly doubt Michigan is going to beat Ohio State this year. Um, and then that would leave a USC or an undefeated Big 12 school. It's going to be very interesting to see what plays out. My prediction is we're going to get Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama, which is a boring prediction, but I think that makes sense. I, I would take a one-loss Georgia or Alabama team over an undefeated Big 12 school. I think that the committee would respect that schedule more for Alabama to win. To, the only loss for Alabama or Georgia to be to each other, I think they're going to walk away respecting that. Um, if USC goes undefeated, that might make it in over an undefeated SEC or, or a one-loss SEC team so we'll see. The reality is, though, I want a six or eight team college football playoff. If USC goes undefeated, if Clemson goes undefeated, if Ohio State goes undefeated, if a Big 12 school goes undefeated, there's an undefeated SEC program. That's five undefeated teams plus a one loss SEC program, most likely. Why can't they all get in? That sounds fun. I want a six team. Give, you know, you have four teams play round one, two teams get a bye week, then, you know, you play two more games. I like that thought. Give the first two seeds a bye week, play, you know, two games, then two more games, and then a, a title game. I think that sounds like a fun thing. I don't need eight teams to get into the college football playoff. I like a six-team playoff. I'll take eight, though, if that makes people happy. I don't really care either way. But what's possible is we're going to have five teams in different conferences all go undefeated. And then you got a decision to make. Who gets in, who doesn't, because there's only four spots, and there's probably five or six teams that could make it in. There are going to be some hard conversations and very tough decisions to be made if Oklahoma State or TCU or USC goes undefeated. Then you're going to go. The Pac-12 has been handing the college football playoff selection committee just gift after gift by beating up on each other, not having one team stand dominant above the rest. It's very possible this is the year for the first time in like forever 
that there's one Pac-12 school that stands above the rest and looks really good, and I think that team is USC. So we'll see, man. I I just this year more than ever is the the argument that like we just need a college football playoff to expand it. I know it's coming, but man, is it uh, this feels like evidence for that? And I, I'm really interested. Like regardless, it makes the year really fun. I love chaos. I love when there's storylines that you're not sure how they they're gonna play out and. There's a lot of teams right now that have a legitimate shot at the college football playoff. I'm not sure who's going to make it in, but that's fun. I love unknown. I love when there's a game. For example, TCU-Oklahoma State this weekend. I don't know who's going to win that game. That's awesome. It's awful when Alabama plays New Mexico State. I'm like, well, it's not even a contest. I love when I'm not sure what's going to happen. And this year in college football, I am not sure what's going to happen. And that makes it even better to me. So, um, what an incredible year of college football it's been so far, and we are getting set. We're six weeks in. The last six weeks and then the conference title games, it's going to be an amazing finish to this year, and I am all for it. I am loving college football this year, and I love the unknown. I want people to embrace the unknown, and maybe that's the argument against expanding the playoff, actually, is that that moment of drama, who's going to get in, who's not, That's that's valuable to me to, like, it makes these last six weeks of the year really, really matter because winners and losers, you can't afford to slip up. If you're Oklahoma State or TCU or USC, you can't afford to lose a game. Like, it really does matter. And if you expand the college football playoff, you allow and afford room for a loss here and there and teams to have one loss and still make it in. So I actually don't mind. Now that I talk myself through it, I like the rarity how few teams get into the college football playoff. I wouldn't mind six because it's pretty awkward to have, you know, five conference champions all go undefeated and only four get in. That's pretty awful. But um, especially when, if you have, if all five conference champions go undefeated and you've got like a one-loss Alabama or Georgia who doesn't get in when I think they're better than at least the four seed, that's pretty awkward. And that's a, that's very frustrating. So, Man, I don't know, but I, I will say this one more time. This is going to be an incredible end of the year in college football. And, uh, oh, my goodness, I'm just enjoying it. I hope you're enjoying it, and I encourage you, man, lean into the unknown and enjoy this weekend. You know, Penn State, Michigan, Tennessee, Alabama, TCU against Oklahoma State. I, I love it, man. I, I love, love, love college football, and we are being given a really fun year with a lot of unknowns and a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of teams out there right now that have a legitimate shot at the college football playoff. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When you see me next, I will be, I think, in the dark talking about the Cowboys and Cooper Rush and whatever's going on. I want to do some more research and, and go. I got some chores to do at home and we'll figure it out. But I'll see you later. Uh, for you, it'll be instantaneous. For me, it'll be later. It'll be dark. I'll be... I look exactly the same, same black shirt, probably, probably a different action. Probably I'll change my black shirt, but it'll look the same because I've got like eight of these and it'll be nighttime. Anyway, I love you. I'll see you in just a moment. All right, we are back. As promised, it is dark outside. It is 1.53 in the morning. Uh, it's a little bit cold outside, about 55 degrees. I normally wear sandals when I record. I wear like these really ugly, keen sandal looking they're really paracord boat shoes it was too cold to wear those i actually have real socks and shoes on today kind of unfortunate i have devastating news if you're listening on itunes you will not be able to see the difference but um 
Look in my eyes. Oh, that's right, you can. If you're watching on YouTube, hello. Welcome to seeing my eyeballs for the first time in a long, long time. I'm wearing glasses. Um, I like wearing glasses. People don't know that about the sunglasses I wear on the show. Um, they are prescription, so like it helps to see my notes and what's going on. And I just, I don't know, I, I, I like sunglasses. I wear sunglasses all the time. I'm devastated that I don't have them right now. Uh, the, the light in my eyes is very, very bright. It's not fun. Not enjoying it at all. Uh, also, here's what happened. I went to family dinner tonight. I'm a gracious man. I do dishes. Every time I go to family dinner, I do all the dishes. It's what I do. And as usual, I wore my sunglasses to drive over to my parents' house. And, you know, you... You're inside the house. You don't wear your sunglasses inside. You put them around like the collar of your shirt. You hang them there like a cool guy. Well, after dinner, I go to do dishes and I'm like, well, I don't want to get my glasses all wet with water splashing up and whatever. Take the glasses off, put them on the counter. Guess where my sunglasses are at two in the morning? Not, they're not on my face. They're not on my truck. They're on my parents' countertop. And I, I really thought about it. I was like, do I draw? I have a key. I could get into their house and go get my sunglasses, but that's insanity. You can't do that. You can't go to your parents' house, risk waking them up at two in the morning because I wanted my sunglasses so I could record a podcast in my pickup truck. That that doesn't fly. Like they probably would be fine with it actually, but I'm I'm not doing that. I'm not subjecting them that to that nonsense. So here we are. I'm deeply uncomfortable recording the podcast without the sunglasses. I don't have my security blanket. It's a little bit cold. But we, we do the best we can. We move on. Uh, let's jump in. During NFL Week 5, Philly beat Arizona. The Eagles beat the Cardinals 20-17. to Philly is now 5-0. They are the only undefeated team left in the NFL. Been that way for a while now. And the Arizona Cardinals are now 2-3. and three. It's not a shock to me that the Cardinals lost this game. I think Philly, in my opinion, is a much better football team. But part of the story to me that's very interesting is that Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts outplayed Cardinals quarterback Kyler Murray. I think really what that says a lot about is the work ethic of Jalen Hurts. The dude has come such a long way. I, I, basically, anytime I get a chance to talk about Jalen Hurts, I talk about where he started when he was at Alabama years and years ago. He's gotten so much better as time has gone on. And his work ethic's incredible. He has now surpassed Kyler Murray as a quarterback, which is like crazy to me. Kyler Murray has this massive contract. He's a franchise quarterback. Everyone embraces him, believes in him as a star quarterback. He gets criticized here and there. I think he's overpaid. But we all acknowledge Kyler Murray is a really good quarterback. Their numbers were similar on Sunday, but Jalen Hurts played a better game than Kyler Murray. That's crazy to me. I love it. That's awesome. Jalen Hurts does not have the massive contract Kyler Murray has, and yet here he is undefeated playing well. The game, game, the game came down to the very end, um, and I think the two coaches here are interesting. Nick Sirianni, the Eagles head coach, has done such a good job. I remember criticizing him a ton after his opening press conference as the Eagles head coach. He was stuttering, mumbling a bunch. I couldn't, sweating, like couldn't get through his, his own t- conversation, his talk. What, what are the words here? I'm, I'm pulling Nick Sirianni. 
He couldn't talk. I'm like, dude, this guy's going to fail. Clearly, that was wrong. He's been outstanding. Made the playoffs last year in his first year as head coach. His team is 5-0 this year. Shout out to Nick Sirianni. He's doing awesome. And on the flip side of this game, Cardinals coach Cliff Kingsbury, I think, is in trouble. Remember, he had a losing record as a head coach in college at Texas Tech. In the NFL, he's 26-27-1. He's got a losing record in the NFL as well. He did make the playoffs last year, but they've got a 2-3 and three record right now. That's not a good start to the year. And something has to change in Arizona because they do not appear to be heading in the right direction. And Kyler Murray, the quarterback, has a massive contract. He's not going anywhere. So that means that if something's going to change in Arizona, it's probably going to be the head coach, Cliff Kingsbury. Unfortunately for him. Now, Kyler Murray isn't having a great year. And at the end of this game, I thought he had a moment where he seemed to lack awareness. He slid short of the first down marker on second and 10. He spiked the ball on third and one with 22 seconds left. I mean, I get it. The clock is running out. You got no timeouts. You want to stop the clock, but that didn't feel quite right. They probably should have run a play there. It led to a field goal attempt on fourth and one. They missed the field goal. They lost the game. Felt like weird management top to bottom from Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. Now week seven, Thursday night football next week against New Orleans. DeAndre Hopkins, the Cardinals' number one receiver, is going to return from a suspension. I am really, really curious how big of an impact DeAndre Hopkins is going to make on this Cardinals football team. Basically, the question is, can DeAndre Hopkins save the Cardinals' season? Can he help Kyler Murray play better? Can he help Arizona win more games? And will he be able to get people to stop looking at Cliff Kingsbury with that side eye, that skepticism, that look of, man, your days are numbered. Kyler Murray is really, really talented as a quarterback. But it's also easy to imagine him with another coach making him look better. I think of Sean Payton is the name out there that everybody seems to want to hire. I don't know if he actually wants to be a coach right now or not. Sean Payton coaching Kyler Murray, that's an exciting thought. The thing that really excites me, though, is Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator in Kansas City, coming over to coach Kyler Murray. That sounds like a home run. I love that thought. So again, I, I go back to this. How big of an impact is DeAndre Hopkins going to make when he returns to the Arizona Cardinals? Week 7. One more game without him. Week 7, he comes back against New Orleans. And I just, I'm really curious, man. The Cardinals are 2-3. and three. It's not been a good start to the year. Is that the boost they need? Because if it's not DeAndre Hopkins, I don't know what is going to save their season. But they're headed in the wrong direction. They're 2-3. and three, And I worry that if things keep going badly... And they keep losing games and having a losing record. Cliff Kingsbury is going to get fired in Arizona. And there's no way around that. All right. Uh, let me say this. I'm looking at the camera right now. I, I feel like it's just kind of white and blown out. And I'm telling you, man, I, I really feel better about the sunglasses. I, 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 I feel convicted in that. I get a lot of criticism. Why is a dude wearing sunglasses at night? I think it looks better. I, to be honest, like I, I feel 
I'm gonna keep going. I just feel justified. Like, yeah, no, nah, it's it's better with the sunglasses. It's really bright. My eyes kind of hurt. I don't think it looks as good. I feel I feel like I did the right thing here by wearing sunglasses this entire time. People criticize me for literally everything, and I'm just gonna keep doing what I think is right. I, I think the the sunglasses at night. It might look kind of weird, like, why is he doing that? It's because my eyes hurt. My retinas are getting burned by this light shining in my face. So, I don't know. Um, Let's move on. (laughs) Uh, During NFL Week 5, Dallas beat LA 22-10. to That is the LA Rams. I have a couple notes here. Number one, the Cowboys defense is really, really good. They are... Scary good at getting after the quarterback. Their pass rush is awesome. They make the day really difficult for any quarterback they're playing against. And it was a mismatch this game because the Rams' offensive line is struggling, man. They've had five different starting lineups on the offensive line in five games. And, you know, the first drive of the game is kind of an example of their offensive line struggling. Rams quarterback Matthew Stafford got sacked. He fumbled. The Cowboys picked it up. They ran it back for a touchdown. Immediately, Dallas is up by a touchdown. And I want to give a huge shout-out to Cowboys quarterback Cooper Rush. When Dak Prescott got hurt week one and the Cowboys lost to Tampa 19-3, I thought the Cowboys' year was over. I'm like, it's season's done right there. I remember saying that. Season's over. Dude, the Cowboys' backup, Cooper Rush, Round of applause. The dude has stepped up and played outstanding. He led a game-winning drive week two against Cincinnati. They're 4-0 with Cooper Rush as their starting quarterback. And Dak is coming back from an injury soon. I honestly think you have to wait until Cooper Rush either plays badly or loses a game. Because you what you want to do is go back to Dak Prescott when the fans want him back. And... I think this this week they're playing on the road at 5-0 Philly. It's very possible Dallas loses this game on the road to Philadelphia. And Cooper Rush is probably going to be okay, but not quite good enough to win. After that loss, it's a lot easier to sell the return of Dak Prescott to say, well, you know, we could have beat Philly, but our quarterback kind of let us down, and we think Dak is what we need to do to get over the top. But if if you replace a 5-0 Cooper Rush who's winning games with Dak Prescott, and then you lose the first game with Dak Prescott? Oh, boy. Like, you know what I mean? I think you really have to wait until Cooper Rush struggles to put Dak Prescott back. And I know that's absurd, but, man, optically, it's a bad look. And I know that you're paying Dak a ton of money. Like, people want to have this conversation, is Cooper Rush going to take Dak Prescott's job? Dude, no. Not, Not even because he's not playing better, but because you are on the hook for so much money to Dak Prescott. You can't afford to bench Dak Prescott, quite frankly. But what I think you do have to do, you got to ride it out with Cooper Rush until he loses a game at minimum or plays badly and barely survives. I mean, I just don't know that you can take Cooper Rush out while he's playing well and winning. And I I think the risk you run there is you put Dak Prescott in the game. If he loses... And you're like, well, we were 5-0 with Cooper Rush, and we put Dak Prescott, and we lost Week 7. What are we doing? That That's a really risky move that I would feel uncomfortable with. But again, shout-out to Cooper Rush, man. He's got four touchdown passes. He's got zero interceptions on the year. That's impressive, man. 
It's a big deal. He's playing really clean football, playing really well. I think Sunday night at Philly, Philly's 5-0. It's a huge game for Cooper Rush. And if Cooper Rush wins on the road at Philly, I man, Jerry Jones, you're going to bench Cooper Rush for Dak Prescott, who's 5-0, who just beat Philly on the road. Good luck! I, I would not want to be the Cowboys right now because it's going to be awkward if Cooper Rush plays really, really well week six on the road at Philly and wins. By the way, back to the LA Rams. Uh, five games in. The Rams' new receiver, Allen Robinson, still isn't producing. And it's getting bad. He's only got 12 catches for 107 yards and one touchdown all year. That's like Cooper... Man, that's uh, that's Cooper Cup in one game. 12 catches for 107 yards and a touchdown. That's literally like one game for some incredible... Some of the best receivers in the NFL... They do that in a game. That's the production so far through five games for Allen Robinson. It's not good. And I I thought that Allen Robinson would be able to, like going into the year, I thought he was going to replace the production that Odell Beckham Jr. brought last year in L.A. So far, no. So far, Allen Robinson has been disappointing. And I, I don't like saying that, but that's honest. And he's talented, man. But for whatever reason... They can't get him the ball. He made a lot of great catches in training camp, but it's just not coming together for Allen Robinson so far this year, and that's very, very disappointing. And again, I need you to hear this. The Rams' offensive line is a mess right now. It's not good, and, um, you know, Matthew Stafford is still Matthew Stafford. He's going to throw some interceptions, but he's a good quarterback. He's made some good throws this year. He had a couple sweet throws, even against the Cowboys. But that offensive line is is not producing at a high enough level right now. Allen Robinson isn't making plays. Um, Cooper Cup is still Cooper Cup. Like he had a, another long touchdown against Dallas, like a one-handed grab on a crossing route. He took it for like a long touchdown. I mean, Cooper Cup's going to produce no matter what you do with him. And Matthew Stafford's still a good quarterback, but the offensive line is what LA has to figure out uh, and kind of hopefully you can get some young guys developed as the year goes on, make some adjustments in the offseason, bring in a new player or two. But right now, the Rams' problem is the offensive line. By the way, I mentioned him. It's worth talking about. Does anyone know what Odell Beckham Jr. is doing? Let me remind you, Odell Beckham Jr. helped the Rams win the Super Bowl last year. He probably would have won the Super Bowl MVP, but he tore his ACL during the game. Hit a sweet touchdown uh, before he got hurt. OBJ is out there recovering from the torn ACL he got at the beginning of or middle of February. He's still a free agent. And you will see him pop up from time to time in random places at random games. Like at the Rams game to start the year. He was at the Buccaneers Saints game. Like he's just kind of around. Hanging out in the NFL. Recovering. Doing work. I'm really, really curious to see where Odell Beckham Jr. eventually will go. Because he will be healthy right around the end of the year. Come playoff time. And I think what he's going to do is just kind of wait and see how things play out and then pick a team to join and try to win another Super Bowl. I think he's going to probably go somewhere like Buffalo or Kansas City, but he's going to wait and be like, okay, who are the front runners? Who's doing well? Who could use me? Who wants me? And then he'll use this year to have a good postseason, make a couple big plays, and then get a long-term contract this offseason because he's not going to get a long-term contract at this point. He's going to get a one-year deal. Somewhere. And I think if you're him, 
you probably only want to sign a one-year deal. Go go be a mercenary somewhere. Go play for Buffalo, win a Super Bowl, look really good, and then get a massive paycheck to go somewhere else for next year. That That's what I would do if I was Odell Beckham Jr. Makes a lot of sense to me, and that's what I think OBJ is currently working on. All right. Um, this past weekend, Houston beat Jacksonville 13-6. to And it was a surprising loss for the Jaguars, if I'm totally honest. First win of the year for Houston. But the Jaguars are now 2-3. and three. And it was kind of a reminder, like, oh, yeah. The Jaguars are still rebuilding. Trevor Lawrence, their young quarterback in his second year, he's good, man. But he's still learning. They're rebuilding. He's learning. It's a, it's a young team, and they're growing, and this game felt like growing pains. All in all, great win for Houston. Uh, first one of the year. Their quarterback, Davis Mills, he's solid, man. He does some good stuff. He could do what Cooper Rush is doing in Dallas, in my opinion. If you put a great team around Davis Mills, I believe he'd win. Like, if you put him on the Dallas Cowboys or you put him in Miami with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, I think Davis Mills could win some games and do a good job. Uh, Houston, we'll see where they land next year with draft picks. They're, they're not a very good football team. If they can draft Bryce Young, they probably should. But if you're out of the, the Bryce Young sweepstakes and you're looking at Will Levis from Kentucky or Davis Mills, I don't know what the upgrade really is. I think you stick with Davis Mills unless it's Bryce Young. And just build that roster and try to get better as a football team. That makes sense to me. I like that thought. Um, so I don't know, man. Trevor Lawrence, a Jaguars quarterback. He had two interceptions in this game. One was on a Hail Mary on the very last play of the game. Hard to fault him for that. That's a guy trying to make a play. His first interception, though, was a big deal. He threw one on the goal line. It cost his team a lot of points. Um, that's, that's one you can't have. This was not Trevor's best game. He threw for a lot of yards. Wasn't horrible, but, um, I, you know, again, this game felt like growing pains. Trevor's learning. It's a young football team. They're doing the best they can, but not a, not a great performance from Trevor Lawrence, but also not the end of the world either. Like, two interceptions sounds worse than it really is. All right, we got the we got a security guard here. Hello. Oh, it's... Dude, it's the first time ever. I'm so excited. I've been waiting for this day for so long. All right, we get to explain what we're doing. It's uh, it's awesome. Ugh. Yeah, man. Can I have 30 minutes? Is that like I? It... No problem, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm just recording one thing. I'll be out of here quick. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Look at that, guys. We got we got 30 minutes, and then security is going to arrest me with shotguns and kill me. I actually don't know what that... I don't know what happens in 30 minutes if I'm not out of here, but I'll do the best I can. Um. Anyway, it's worth noting... <laughs> Finally, I've been waiting for security for like so long to say something to me. And uh, he's like, way we're closed, but I'll give you 30 minutes, I guess. He's getting paid $12 an hour. He doesn't care. I'm not posing a threat to anybody. Anyway, uh, it's worth noting Houston's rookie running back, Damian Pierce, had a good game. He's a fourth round pick. Um, 
I think Houston found their running back. They had a pretty good draft class, man. A lot of the draft picks Houston made, they look really good. Uh, Nick Casario, their general manager, has done a good job, to be totally honest. Um, Damian Pierce had a crazy run at the end of the fourth quarter where he ran down to the goal line and set up a touchdown. He was literally throwing Jaguar defenders off of him. It was impressive to see. And uh, I think my takeaway here, again, I'm just surprised the Jaguars lost. The Jaguars have had a good year so far. They were 2-2. Two and two. I thought they were going to go up to 3-2. and two. Losing to Houston was surprising. Now, it's not uncommon for Jacksonville to lose to Houston. They've done it a lot in the past. Um, but uh, yeah, not, not a great game for the Jaguars. Houston, on the other hand, great win for them. Next week, Houston plays the Raiders. I, Man, I got to come at it from the Raiders' perspective. The Raiders are 1-4. and four. They've lost a lot of close games to good teams. The one and four Raiders cannot afford to lose this next week to Houston. That would be, oh my goodness. If they if the Raiders lose to Houston next weekend, that would be a monumental blow to their season. And it would just add insult to injury to a year that's already been kind of a struggle for them. All right, let's end the show with listener questions. Go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. Patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler if you want to submit questions to the audience. Um, it's a dollar a month. You can donate more if you want to. Please do. It literally does pay my bills. But a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs. I pick the top couple to read on the show. Question number one today comes from Zachariah. Zachariah says, hey, Zach. Good or bad, what are the most surprising observations of the NFL season so far? You've got backups playing well in Geno Smith, Cooper Rush, Jacoby Brissett. The Eagles are becoming an unstoppable monster. The AFC and NFC West is looking worse every week. The Colts are acting like they're Houston. And many more strange things are going on. What are your picks for the most surprising things in the NFL so far? I mean, the obvious one is Cooper Rush going 4-0 as the Cowboys starting quarterback. I thought the season was over when they lost to Tampa 19-3 week one and Dak got hurt. Uh, now you're in a position where it's almost going to be awkward if you bench Cooper Rush. If he plays really well on the road at Philly week six, if I'm Dallas, actually, I'm hoping Cooper Rush has a bad game. If I'm like the general manager and the brass there, because I'm like, ah, if I'm Jerry Jones, I'm like, man, I... I'm the owner, and I pay Dak a lot of money. I'm not paying Dak to not be our starting quarterback. You kind of hope Cooper Rush has a bad game so you can justify benching him at this point. Uh, so I, I cannot believe Cooper Rush and the Cowboys are 4-0 with him as their starting quarterback. It's a shock Denver's horrible. I mean, we were talking about—I've been saying for a long time Denver is close to being good. I'm, and they got Russell Wilson. I was like, man, they got Russ— they got a new coach. Like, it's an offensive coach. It's going to be awesome. The coach has been horrible. Nathaniel Hackett has been awful making in-game decisions. Russ has been terrible. Uh, you know, when I worked at the restaurant, uh, my manager was a Broncos fan. He spent, like, 30 years living in Denver. I felt bad for him, dude. Like, he would watch every Sunday I'm working at the restaurant. He's watching the Broncos games because he, he would find a way to get him on. And you saw this man's heart just breaking more and more every single day. And it's like, oh, I, I remember they played Monday. 
There was a couple. They played a couple primetime games. Man, I remember there was a specific Monday night football game. It might have been, honestly, uh, Seattle, Denver. And this man's watching his favorite team. And you could just see, it's like the life was sucked out of him. He was not happy. I felt really bad for him. The Raiders are 1-4. and four. That's a surprise. They've lost by a combined 14 points. Four losses all by one score or less. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just, it'd be more surprising if the Raiders were like truly horrible. They're not horrible. They're just not that great. Uh, they're missing a lot of little moments and key opportunities. I'm shocked that Geno Smith is out playing Russell Wilson. Like the amount of money Russ is making $245 million with a five-year extension to Geno making three and a half million this year. And Geno's playing way, way better than Russ. Like that's unfathomable to me. Like that's crazy. I just did not see that coming at all. That's a huge surprise. I think you could call it a surprise that Matt Rule, the Panthers head coach, got fired after five games. It's not a shock he got fired this year at all. But it is a shock it was only five games in they gave up. Like, that's the owner, David Tepper, in Carolina was talking about how, you know, it's going to take a long time to rebuild the franchise. It's six, seven years. We're here for the long haul. And then, bam, you know, a bad start to the year, and he's out of there. Uh, that That's a surprise to me. Not that he got fired, but that he got fired so early. It makes me wonder, like, what else is going on there? Did people just hate him? Like, what what really happened, and what do we not know about Matt Rule in Carolina? Uh, I, I think, you know, Trey Lance getting hurt and out for the year in game number two is is brutal and surprising if you're a 49er fan. Here's another one that's maybe a surprise. I I remember I did praise the approach Mike Tomlin made with Kenny Pickett. Remember starting Trubisky to early on in the year. Trubisky stunk it up, but it made you appreciate how good Kenny Pickett really was. Here's a surprise, though. If you told me, hey, Kenny Pickett's not going to play, and the first two defenses he's going to play are going to be Buffalo and then Tampa, I'd go, I don't like that at all. Your rookie quarterback, his first two games are going to be against the Super Bowl favorite and then a really good defense and one of the Super Bowl favorites, Tampa. Are you sure? And that's exactly what Kenny Pickett's doing last week and this week. So um, not great for Kenny Pickett. That's another surprise, I guess. But those are the things that have surprised me to start the year so far uh, this season. Ryan writes in, Ryan offers a perspective on Aiden Hutchinson, the Lions uh, draft pick. Ryan says, Hi, Zach. I'm glad to hear you can finally watch the games on Sunday instead of having to play catch-up constantly. I know how frustrating that can be. Long-suffering Lions fan here, I was opposed to the Aiden Hutchinson draft pick just as a general rule of thumb, I believe, in the Harbaugh era. All Michigan players go a minimum of 30 picks higher than they should. Outside of one half against the commander's terrible offensive line, Hutchinson has been bad at best. If you told me Malcolm Rodriguez went second overall and Hutchinson went in the sixth round, I would be more inclined to believe that than anything else. Aiden Aiden Hutchinson has probably the worst body type for the position. He's narrow and tall with a high center of mass, a short arm or wingspan. He's constantly out of position. The final straw was watching him get juked out by Bailey Zappi and whiffing hard as a free rusher. 
I have no faith in this, the Lions organization, since they took a bad player to sell jerseys to a bunch of slack-jawed Walmart Wolverines. <laughs> what do I even do with my Sundays in the fall now that the season is over? Sincerely, Ryan. Ryan, I'm so sorry, man. You're a jaded Lions fan, and I'm a jaded Mariners fan now. I get it. I've accepted I'm a Mariners fan, and it's pain. I, I watched my favorite baseball team just completely blow it in the bottom of the ninth inning the other day. They were up two runs in the ninth inning. They take out Seawald is doing well. They put in Robbie Ray, a pitcher who, you know, blew it against the Blue Jays a couple days ago. Gave up eight runs. And they're like, hey, you know, the Astros' best batter is up. Let, let's put in Robbie Ray and see what happens. YOLO hits a three-run home run to walk off and win the game. It's painful to have a favorite team. I get it, man. I understand now. Um, as far as your perspective on Aiden Hutchinson, I appreciate it. Although I, I think it's a little bit early. Let's see how the year goes. I'm curious how the rest of the year goes for him. I, I wonder, will you ultimately be right? Is Aiden Hutchinson a bad draft pick? Potentially. So far, though, he leads the Lions in sacks. He's got three sacks in five games, 14 tackles. He's not been abysmal, man. Like you're, I think you're a little harsh on Aiden Hutchinson, but let's let the year play out and we'll revisit this. So, Ryan, right in after week 18, when the year is over, please do a follow-up. Right in later, let, let's see what happens. But so far, I think it's too early to call Aiden Hutchinson a complete bust uh, for the Lions. Jeffrey Wrightson says, Hey, Zach, another question for you. With the Matt Rule firing, who are some other coaches you think should be next on the chopping block? Cliff Kingsbury and Zach Taylor have shown me nothing and are holding their teams back severely. I also think Ron Rivera has run his course in Washington, although I'd be sad to see him go. Otherwise, guys in the hot seat for me include Frank Reich and Nathaniel Hackett. The Colts have been really bad this year, and I think it's just time to shake things up in Indy. And we all know how Hackett's been to start the year, but I'm hopeful this is the worst it'll get and there's some light at the end of the tunnel. Let me know what you think. Thanks as always. Uh, Jeffrey, one second. First of all, it's it's 2.25 right now. By 2.45, I got to pack up and at least drive somewhere else. I realize, like, I, I don't want to push it. I, I don't know what happens if I'm here 30 minutes after the security guard leaves. But let's not find out. Can we agree on that? I don't want to find out. So uh, that's that distracted me. Uh, but Jeffrey, the coaches that are on the hot seat, in my opinion... The number one guy is Cliff Kingsbury. You're two and three. You made the playoffs last year. You look like your team is taking a step backward. You had a losing record in college. You've got a losing record in the NFL. Cliff Kingsbury, I think, has the most pressure on him right now. Ron Rivera doesn't look great, but I think, to be totally honest, the ownership in Washington is asleep at the wheel. They don't care that much. They are not in any hurry to make crazy moves. So I think Ron Rivera is more safe than people think. You're assuming that the ownership in Washington is attentive and really cares about winning, and I'm not sure they do. Nathaniel Hackett might get fired in Denver. He's been a just awful mess as a head coach. Looks inexperienced and weighing over his head. Kind of reminds me of um, Freddie Kitchens when he became the head coach in Cleveland with Baker Mayfield. I'm like, ah, this guy, nothing against him, but he doesn't look ready to be a head coach at all. Uh, Frank Reich might get fired in, in Indy with the Colts. And then another guy on the chopping block is Brandon Staley. Justin Herbert, 
Uh, you got a superstar quarterback. You got a really great roster on paper. I know guys keep getting hurt. That's not entirely in your control, but um, Brandon Staley isn't winning enough in LA. I don't know how, it depends on whether ownership is impatient or not. Um, but if you can get uh, Sean Payton or Eric B. Enemy or a really good offensive coach who's going to work with Justin Herbert and make him look really good, I think you move on to that rather than trying to make it work with Brandon Staley, who um, just he's a defensive head coach. He he played quarterback in college. Like he actually, I don't know that Brandon Staley's a horrible coach. I like him a lot. I would really love to play for him, like as a person. But uh, when you have an attractive offensive mind out there who could work with your superstar quarterback. I, I understand the argument that, like, let's get Justin Herbert a really great offensive mind coaching him. All right. Um, Nate writes in. Nate says, hi, Zach. My question or comment is on the current state of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I have grown up being a Steelers fan in the mid to late 2000s and 2010s. And it has been absolutely jarring to see the team become an afterthought as quickly as they have. I expected Pittsburgh to regress this year due to the amount of question marks on offense and with the loss of Big Ben. But in no way did I see the team having a likely top 10 pick, if not top 5, draft pick next year. Kenny Pickett and George Pickens have both shown some promise over the last couple weeks, but there haven't been many bright spots. While I still do believe Mike Tomlin is a very good head coach and have defended him for years, I feel as though... This year may be exposing many of his flaws and weaknesses. The Steelers have the highest paid defense in the NFL, but the loss of TJ Watt has seemed to prove how dependent this defense is on him. They're currently giving up over 400 yards per game after this week's loss to the Bills. And in my opinion, even without TJ Watt, that's unacceptable for the amount of talent and money on the defense and for having a defensive minded head coach. Many players look mentally checked out and unprepared on the field. When you add on the recent poor offensive coordinator hires and the team not having a playoff win since the 2015-16 season, I believe some of the criticisms of Tomlin are now becoming justified. I am certainly not advocating for him to be fired, as I do think he deserves some leeway. But this year has opened my eyes a bit more. What are your thoughts on the situation? Keep up the good work with the show, Nate. Yeah, you know, Nate, I like you have a measured approach with your write-in. Um, remember, they're replacing a Hall of Fame quarterback, Big Ben. They've got a rookie quarterback. Say what you want about T.J. Watt and how good the defense is and how much they're paid, yada, yada. But your best player, T.J. Watt, has been hurt. That's going to affect you. Um, I think you make some fair criticisms, though. I, I, I hear what you're saying, man. I, I think we're on the same page, which is that this year has got to be a... An alarming year for Steelers fans where you go, hmm, this isn't quite right. But I, I don't think you should be in any hurry to fire Mike Tomlin. If he's bad for two or three years, you fire him. But, you know, he hasn't had a, a losing season in forever. Actually, he never has had a losing season. It's year 16. That's not a great way to measure that because he he's also not making the playoffs every year. So it's like... Ah, I don't know how much that really matters, but like, it's not like the Steelers have ever been terrible under him. Here's a big question, though. Here's why I think you should not be in a hurry to get rid of Mike Tomlin. Who are you going to replace Mike Tomlin with? 
I just, there's not a lot of coaches running around out there of his caliber. Like, there's just not, there's not a, if there was a just ton of coaches running around that I thought could step in and win a lot of games in Pittsburgh, I'd say, yeah, fire the guy. Sure. Like, fair enough. But there's just, there's not a lot of elite NFL head coaches running around. Guys who have won Super Bowls before, who've won a lot in the NFL, who players respect. And a head coach's job is to delegate. You you oversee the whole operation, and I think he does a pretty good job of that, to be totally honest. His players love him. So I think you got to slow down if you're a Steelers fan and make sure that you're not just having a knee-jerk reaction. Take your time. Relax. Um, you know, I, I just... I, I hear you. I, I think you're making fair criticisms, Nate. Um, but take your time. And and I really think this is what you got to do. You're now on notice. Okay. Um, Mike Tomlin, we're skeptical now. We're like, ah, I don't know. Trust it. But let's see how this year goes, the rest of the year. Let's see how next year goes. And if after next year, things aren't better, you fair enough, fire the guy. If next year you're still... A skeptical, give him one more year. And if three years from now, it's bad, fine. But I, I don't think you just hurry to fire Mike Tomlin. At least if you're going to fire Mike Tomlin, you better have a plan. You better know who your next coach is, and you better be pretty dang good because it's hard to upgrade from Mike Tomlin. There's not a lot of guys better than him running around, in my opinion. Uh, and so I would just, I take your time. I, I would be in no hurry to replace the guy. And uh, those are my two cents. All right. Um, let's do one more question. And then I'm going to drive somewhere else and, and move locations because security did tell me you got 30 minutes. It's been close to 30 minutes. And here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to get the cops called on me or something like ah, I'm not I'm not a menace to society. I think I could talk my way out of it. But. Why go there? I, I, You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm just one man doing the best I can, trying to record a podcast humbly in my pickup truck. I don't I don't want any smoke, you guys. I, I, don't, I don't. I don't. Look at, look at this face. I don't want any problems. Um, so Stephen writes in. Stephen says, hi, Zach. So Kenny Pickett made his first career start this week against the Buffalo Bills. And even though we got absolutely slaughtered, I like to think that he's the guy and that Pittsburgh has a lot to look forward to in the coming future. Am I right to think this way, or am I just foolishly a naive fan? I already covered it last episode, but I actually feel good about Kenny Pickett. He's got a good foundation right now. He throws a good ball. He's stepping into hits. Um, He's not a terrible quarterback at all. He's definitely an upgrade over Mitchell Trubisky, in my opinion. And he's making very small, forgivable mistakes. Like, little things. Like, just details that are him not knowing the offense well enough. He went the wrong way in a screen pass. He's a little early getting the ball out in certain situations. Um, he's a rookie quarterback, new to the NFL, playing at a higher level than before in a new offense. I have no worries. He, Of course, he's going to make small mistakes. He's not making any egregious errors, which is that's all I really care about. If he was terrible and playing really bad, fair enough. But he's not. He, he's making small little mistakes, and I can, I can live with that. And um, I think he just got it. Give Kenny Pickett some patience because I really believe he's going to figure it out and you got to just give him some time. All right. Um, man. 
Nick's writing is really good, but we're pushing it. I'll do. You know what? Let's do, let's do one more, then we'll move. Nick says, hey, Zach, I had a question about the Cowboys you answered after week one, and I remembered you asking me to write back about how I felt after the Dak injury. But now the Cowboys are 4-1 and one under Cooper Rush, and this defense looks like it could carry any quarterback to the playoffs. Even as a Cowboys fan, I didn't think we'd be able to hold teams to an average of 14 points per game. Do you think that with this defense, the Cowboys can actually make a playoff run this year? We have beaten both teams that made it to the Super Bowl last year and are the only teams to hand the Giants a loss this year. I think you mean are the only team. You wrote an S, but you're the only team to beat the Giants so far this year. Our defense is looking scary right now for any team we have to play. Yeah, I watched that Giants game. The Cowboys created a lot of problems for Daniel Jones. Um, Dallas' defense is really, really good. And... um. Yeah, I think the I think the Cowboys are a playoff team. I, I I look around the NFC. There's just not a lot of great competition. Who who's great in the NFC? Tampa. The Packers are good. And Minnesota's pretty good. Philly in your division will learn a lot next week between Philly and Dallas. I'm not sure the Cowboys have enough offensive firepower to beat one of the best teams like Buffalo or Kansas City. Like, can you can you beat a Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes? Like, your defense might compete against them, but can your offense, whether it's Dak Prescott or Cooper Rush, can your offense beat up on a Kansas City or Buffalo? I don't know. But I think Dallas really is a playoff team this year. I will say, though, their their wins aren't very impressive to me. LA's not very good. Cincinnati's not that great. The Giants, like, they're 4-1. That's an impressive win, but it's it's the Giants. And you, you beat Washington. Oh! So, like... You beat three bad teams and a four and one Giants team. Okay. Okay. Like, ah. I think the best win of the year by far was the way they beat the Giants. They just looked impressive and they obliterated them. But all in all, um, I, I'm, I, I see as, how do I put this? I don't know that this year is going to be a Super Bowl run for the Cowboys. Although it's, it's possible if they get hot at the end and look, if you match up against Buffalo or Kansas City in the Super Bowl and you're Dallas, if a couple things go your way and your defense plays really well, you could win. Like, anyone can beat anyone really in football, especially at a level like the NFL where there's so much parity. I mean, we saw the 49ers almost beat Kansas City a couple of years ago with Jimmy Garoppolo. So, like, da- Dallas certainly could win the Super Bowl. And if you make the playoffs with that defense, uh, if you get hot at the end of the year, and we saw, we saw Philly win a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. So it's like not impossible to win a Super Bowl if you're Dallas. Um, but I, I do believe Dallas is a playoff team this year. Um, and they're going to make a run. I just wonder, can they beat a Kansas City? Can they beat a Buffalo? But again, he, they can. Will they? I'm not sure. But they definitely, if things go right for them in that game against Buffalo, against a Kansas City in the Super Bowl, it... You know, if a couple bounces go their way, they get good quarterback play and their defense can play well, they could win a Super Bowl. So I don't want to overhype the Cowboys, but um, they're in a good spot right now. Could be better, could be worse, could be much worse. And I feel I feel pretty good about the Cowboys. And I, I don't say that very often. Like, I've been pretty down on the Cowboys. I made fun of them a lot, but I have to acknowledge they're in a good spot right now. They're playing very well, and I think you got to feel good if you're a Cowboys fan. All right, um, I'm going to move. I'm going to change locations for recording. 
and we will continue in just a moment. All right, we are back. What a hassle. Um, I drove to another location, and like I got all set up, and I realized that the noise from the freeway was too loud. And I'm like, well, too close to the freeway. Where can I record? Where's a like reliable location where they won't care about vagrants like me? Oh, a handy-dandy Walmart parking lot. So we're in a Walmart parking lot, and... Dude, nobody cares at all. Like, it's amazing how much Walmart just lets you just park here, doesn't care. I'm kind of disappointed. It's a it's a hassle that the security guard made me leave. Um, I, I really, as I was driving from location number two that didn't work, I was like, you know what? I probably could have just stayed there. Like, that guy doesn't care. He's giving me a warning because, like, he has to and it's his job. I've locked eyes with that security guard so many times and he's never said anything and not cared at all. So it's it's very disappointing uh, that he didn't like me being there. It's like, ah, all right. Like, I I guess I'll move. But, like, I, uh, I probably could have gotten away with just recording the rest of the episode and not moving. And I, uh, oh, man, I'm disappointed because that's a spot I've gone to quite a bit over my time recording the show. And I'm uh, disappointed he didn't allow me to finish. Um, Ben writes in, Ben says, Hey there, Zach, been listening for a long time and figured it was time to support my favorite podcasts on YouTube and ask for your opinion. I'm an Arizona Cardinals fan and watching the Cardinals this year has definitely been disappointing to watch. While I've always been optimistic, but skeptical of Kyler Murray, I've never believed the hiring of Cliff Kingsbury was the right move and still think he's been way over his head in the NFL. But this year, watching every snap, and especially after the massive contract extension, I'm starting to doubt that Kyler Murray can bring any playoff success to the franchise. With as mobile and as big of an arm that he has, Murray should be able to do much more than throw screens and slants the entire game. Not having DeAndre Hopkins right now doesn't help, but having that connection and chemistry with Hollywood Brown should be helping Kyler Murray extend plays down the field and yet I've only seen it happen a handful of times this entire year. My question is this. Do you think that the addition of DeAndre Hopkins coming back will make Kyler Murray a significantly better quarterback and change the season around for Kingsbury and the Cardinals? Or do you think that it's time to move on from Kingsbury and find a better coach to help benefit Kyler Murray's talent? Thanks for reading this question with your eyeballs and hope life on the road is going well for you, Ben. Ben, you're asking a lot of great questions. I think the huge one is, can... Like, that's the question. Can DeAndre Hopkins save the Cardinals? I doubt it. But I have an open mind. Um, here's the thing, though. You say... I think that the fact that you're even asking, hey, should we move on from Cliff Kingsbury? That's also the answer. If you're not sure, ding, 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 you probably got the wrong coach. Um... That's not always true, I guess, because people in Pittsburgh are not sure. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I think you got a pretty good one of Mike Tomlin. But um, he, imagine Sean Payton designing and calling plays for Kyler Murray. Or the one that excites me most, Eric Bieniemy, The offensive coordinator in Kansas City could come over and design plays and run the offense with Kyler Murray. That's an exciting thought. And... Whether it works the rest of the year for Cliff Kingsbury or not, let's say DeAndre Hopkins comes back, he's incredible, and it elevates the rest of the year for the Arizona Cardinals, and they ride off into the sunset. That could very well happen. 
However, even if DeAndre Hopkins can be the silver bullet and save the season of the Cardinals, I still think Eric Bieniemy might be better. I still think Sean Payton might be better. So I I would move on from Cliff Kingsbury if I was Arizona. Can we get a little more normal offense? Like they only running from the shotgun and never using play action and like the stuff they're doing in Arizona, they're running a college air raid offense basically in the NFL. Cliff Kingsbury has a losing record in college and the NFL. That's the guy you want? Okay. Good luck. I'm concerned. Okay, Sean writes in. I love what Sean has to say here. Sean says, oh boy. Russell Wilson and Matt Ryan had a bad Thursday night football game last week. During the offseason, we heard theories about both of those quarterbacks being the brand new starter for the Cleveland Browns before they traded for Watson. So he's saying, you know, Russell Wilson was rumored maybe going to Cleveland. Maybe Matt Ryan could have gone to Cleveland. He says, could you imagine if either one of them went to Cleveland and performed like that? How much do you personally think the narrative would shift from what is going on with these quarterbacks to Cleveland is destroying the career of these quarterbacks? I, Sean, I love this thought because you're totally right. If Russell Wilson was in Cleveland, the blame would be on Russ or Matt. I don't believe the blame should be on Matt Ryan. I look at Indy and see an offensive line struggling. I see a weak receiving core. But Russell Wilson in Denver has been flat out bad. With no redeeming qualities and no bad offensive line and no, like, not a great offensive line, not a great receiving core, but, like, good enough to win. He's had opportunities and missed. Where Matt Ryan has gotten beat up a lot. They only really have Michael Pittman Jr. I, I feel more comfortable making excuses for Matt Ryan than I do Russell Wilson. But either way, you're right. If Russ had gone to Cleveland and had played as bad as he's playing in Denver... People would blame Cleveland, not Russ. And that's just, I don't even know, I don't know what to do with that information. It's just interesting how we, we pick a narrative about a place or a city or a franchise and we're, we're unwilling to be, we will not be unconvinced. We will not change our mind. You're, I just, I just love that. I don't know what to do with that observation. Like I said, but you're totally right, Sean. If Matt Ryan had gone to Indy and played bad, we would have blamed Indy, not Matt Ryan. If Russ had gone to in, to Cleveland and done what he's doing in Denver, we'd say Kevin Stavansky's bad and uh, you know the Browns organization, they ruin every quarterback they've ever had. They couldn't work with Baker. They couldn't work with Russ. That would be the narrative. Even though Russ is objectively playing bad football. So... I just love that. Again, not sure what to do with it, but I love that information. Good perspective. Donnie writes in. Donnie says, hey, Zach, big fan of the show for a long time and love the truck setup. Someone does. Thank goodness. Donnie says, with the firing of Matt Rule in Carolina, should we start asking if David Tepper Tepper is a good owner? It seems like all he does is splash ridiculous amounts of cash, but doesn't take the time to think if large risks are worth it. Matt Rule's contract made no sense from day one, and the Sam Darnold decision was premature. 
If you're ever in DC, let's hang. So, uh, I'm, I'm in the Walmart parking lot, by the way. A truck backed in like right next to me and it, the guy went to sleep. That shouldn't bother me. I sleep in my truck. At least I will in about a week when I get my canopy. But it is interesting. The whole parking lot, the guy chose to park right next to my truck where I'm recording a podcast. I'm like, I just, I don't want the guy to come at my car with a knife. You know, like it would be very entertaining for the podcast, but I don't really want that to happen. Anyway, Donnie writes in, uh, so is David Tepper, the Panthers owner, a bad owner? You, you cite the Matt Rule contract. You cite Sam Darnold's contract. First of all, let's say this. Um, David Tepper can spend his money however he wants, right? It's his team. He owns the NFL team. I don't tell you how to run your vehicle. Uh, I own my truck. I do whatever I want with my truck. David Tepper owns a football team. He can do whatever he wants with this football team. I guess. It's not great logic. It's not a great analogy. But, you know, it's his money, his decision making. I do think that David Tepper has justification for both of those contracts, in my opinion. Like, at least you can make an argument that makes sense. Like, Matt Rule, you gave him a seven-year contract out of Baylor. He turned around Temple. He turned around Baylor. Things were going well at Baylor. He could have stayed there and won a lot more games and made a lot more money. So you had to give him a good offer to get him to leave Baylor to come to the NFL. You had to give him an attractive amount of money to get him to leave. So that's one thing. The other thing is that it's a sign of commitment. Like, I, I really loved how realistic David Tepper appeared to be. He, he gave Ron Rivera a couple years. It didn't work. He got a new coach. And then he said, on a realistic timeline, it's going to take a long time to th- turn things around here in Carolina. Five, six, seven years. That's why he gave Matt Rule a long contract. It was to say, like, look, I understand it's going to take a while for this to work. Clearly something changed. I don't know why David Tepper fired Matt Rule. Again, it makes me wonder... Something must have happened behind the scenes because um, it's it's surprising to me that they, they fired him as quickly as they did. And I would actually argue the Sam Darnold contract was a decent risk to take because it was high risk. Maybe it was high risk. It was medium risk, high reward, though. Let's imagine, you know, Sam Darnold got traded to Carolina He'd always been on bad teams with the Jets. The franchise wasn't very good. And Carolina took a risk in paying him before he'd ever played it down for the Carolina Panthers. They extended his contract. However, if Sam Darnold had worked out and become the franchise quarterback in Carolina, dude, franchise quarterbacks right now are going for a premium. Kyler Murray signed a $230 million contract. Quarterback money's insane right now. If your quarterback has one good year, you're on the hook to pay him like $100 million. So if Sam Darnold had had a good year last year, but he's already under contract, he's SOL. He's blank out of luck because... Hey, we already gave you a contract. You're getting paid f- enough money. Like, you know what I mean? You would have gotten a bargain deal on a good quarterback. And I, I thought it was kind of smart. It was a smart thought process, in my opinion, to um, take a risk on Sam Darnold, pay him early 
so that if it worked out, you got a cheap deal on a quarterback. It didn't work out, obviously, but you weren't planning to fail. I don't know. I, I just don't think the Sam Darnold contract, it was it was, it was was early, sure, but it wasn't egregious because if it worked out, you look genius. And you save a ton of money and can build a better team around your young quarterback. So I just, I don't know. I, I don't, Matt Rule made sense. You had to give him a lot of money and a good deal to get him out of Baylor where he was happy and making good money and winning. Plus, it makes sense. You got to pay your coach for a while and invest in them and invest in many years of them actually rebuilding the franchise. And if the Sam Darnold move had worked out, if Sam Darnold had a great year last year, but you were still paying him only $18, $20 million a year, you look genius. So the moves didn't work out, but I don't think they were terrible decisions, if that makes sense. All right, Davis writes in. Davis says, Zach, I've I've read a lot of reports of the quarterbacks the Colts are interested in, and one of them is Anthony Richardson and Tyler Van Dyke. If you were in Chris Ballard's ear, who would you draft, assuming both are open? So the Colts. Apparently they're interested in Anthony Richardson and Tyler Van Dyke. Um, Head-to-head? I would take Anthony Richardson over Tyler Van Dyke. Tyler Van Dyke's in Miami. Anthony Richardson's in Florida. Anthony Richardson is not ready yet to be an NFL quarterback, but he's really talented. If I'm any kind of confident coach, I'm like, I'll teach that kid how to play football because he's got Josh Allen-level talent. His ability to run, his ability to throw. He's got a better arm than Lamar Jackson and runs the ball at a very high level similar. Like I watched him have a dude, go watch Florida against Utah. The run he had early in that game. You're like, Oh my goodness, this guy and his ability to throw the football, his arm strength off the charts. And he works hard, man. Anthony Richardson is making progress. I don't know. Tyler Van Dyke's not very attractive to me. Like I know his team isn't very good, but like he, he's an average quarterback. He's like Davis Mills. Anthony Richardson's like, Herbert, Josh Allen, Mahomes level talented. And I'm like, I really like that. He, I would take Anthony Richardson today over Trey Lance, to be totally honest. And that's acknowledging that AR has got flaws. Like Anthony Richardson has work to do. But he throws the ball better than Trey Lance. I don't know. I, I Trey Lance is special. Or, or, I mean, hopefully maybe that too. But Anthony Richardson is a special talent. And uh, it's not even closer to him and Tyler Van Dyke. Braden writes in. Braden says, Hello, Sir Zach. Uh, Okay, well, he says, Hello, Sir Zach of House Shomler. Thank you. Today I bring a question to the throne of thy truck kingdom. I like this. Hey, I don't know how to ask for this more, but I like the truck kingdom and stuff. Get creative with your write-ins, please. The introductions and stuff. I like when people do that. It's really fun. I'm bad at reading it, apparently, but let's start from the top. Braden says, Hello, Sir Zach of House Shomler. Today I bring a question to the throne of thy truck kingdom. Is the truck kingdom, that's everywhere, right? Because I can drive pretty much everywhere. Everywhere on land that's not ocean because it's a four-wheel drive. Truck kingdom. How big is truck kingdom? Anyway, Braden says, the Carolina Panthers are interested in, oh gosh, dang it, I can't read. The Carolina Panthers are in an interesting spot right now. They currently hold the first overall pick and all of their current quarterbacks are on the last year of their deals. If you are the GM of the team, 
what would you do this offseason? Would you either take C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young or maybe someone else with the first pick? Or do you sign and stick with one of the guys on your team currently? Baker, Darnold, P.J. Walker, or Matt Corral? All right, Braden. Um, I would take Bryce Young over C.J. Stroud, and I would take Bryce Young over anyone. If you can get Bryce Young, I don't care who's available, I'd take Bryce Young. If you, have the, if you actually get the number one overall pick in your Carolina— and Bryce Young is available, you draft him. And don't hesitate at all. That's easy to me. If you can draft Bryce Young, you do it in a heartbeat. Don't even think about it. Now, if it's not Bryce Young, then you kind of leave it up to your personnel, your quarterback, uh, your coach. Um, I meant your coach, not your quarterback. Let's say you hire Sean Payton. And he's like, hey, dude, I, I want to work with Baker. Then you you bring Baker back and you make him work with Sean Payton. And that that's what I would do. But, man, if you can get Bryce Young, that's my favorite quarterback to watch in all of football at any level. If you can get Bryce Young, you make that happen in a heartbeat, and I think that's a great move. Donovan writes in. Donovan's got a long one, but a good one. Donovan says, hey, Zach, hope you're having an awesome day. As a Broncos fan, this year has been pretty rough. But it's pretty much what I expected, if not a bit worse so far. Our rookie head coach made some mind-boggling decisions throughout the first couple games. Russ has not been cooking. Our run game has been struggling. And as of right now, we are the most injured team, 12 players placed on the IR. My question about the Broncos is, why is everyone surprised about our early season struggles? New coaching staff, new quarterback. Heck, we even have new owners. It's easy to look at Minnesota, New York, and Miami with our rookie head coaches and think, Why isn't that us? But we are not them. I get that we have looked awful throughout the first month of the year. I just don't get why everyone is already closing the book on Russ in Denver. I, Donovan, I appreciate your optimism. I even like your perspective. But, dude, let's be real. Nathaniel Hackett has been bad. Russ has been bad. Uh, Mike McDaniel? Rookie head coach, been killing it. Looks awesome. I know there's new pieces. And I think a bit of patience is not wrong. I mean, remember Tom Brady. When Tom Brady first went to Tampa, they struggled early on. So it's okay to have some patience and not be in a hurry to write off the Denver Broncos. But criticism of Russ and criticism of Nathaniel Hackett are totally justified. There's still time to turn it around. I... I like your perspective because you're you're saying, hey, it could work out, and, and maybe it could. But Brian Dable has Daniel Jones, not Russell Wilson, Daniel Jones. And he's 4-1 with the New York Giants. You look like you hired a coach who's in over his head, and your expensive veteran quarterback is playing bad. When you compare... Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson, what they're doing compared to other coaches who are coaching with quarterbacks that aren't as good or haven't been as good in the past and teams that aren't as good, it's mind-boggling actually how bad the Broncos are doing. Mike McDaniel looks way better than Nathaniel Hackett. So does Brian Dable. That's a problem. It's not good at all. I would feel pretty bad if I was a Denver Broncos fan. I forgot my my water's up on my center console. I, I, I am so disappointed, but I, I got to grab it. Give me a second. 
Pretty sure I just tore my labrum or something. That was a reach. I tried to do it without getting out of the truck. Uncomfortable. Adam writes in, Adam says, hey Zach, I just finished listening to episode 511 and I heard you mention a quote, late hit on a Kenny Pickett slide and uh, how you thought it should have been a penalty against Buffalo. I would argue that Kenny Pickett slid far too late for the defender uh, that hit him to react. I cringe when I see quarterbacks waiting until the last possible moment to give themselves up. And I believe that this unsafe sliding practice is actually more dangerous to the quarterback than if they were to stay upright and take the hit as any other runner would. I think most quarterbacks should slide two or three yards earlier than they do on any given run. Kyler Murray is a shining example of a quarterback protecting himself. He never gets hit late when he slides, and it's no accident. He slides way earlier than any quarterback I can remember watching, usually three yards before any contact could potentially occur. I think all quarterbacks should be held to that same standard instead of constantly forcing defenders to make an impossible decision between potentially letting the quarterback run right past them or getting a 15-yard penalty and a possible fine. To be clear, I'm not saying the defense should not be responsible for safe tackling, but I do believe that part of the responsibility should rest on the quarterback, or any runner for that matter, to make safer decisions, whether that means sliding earlier or not sliding at all. Thoughts? Um, let me remind you first that Kyler Murray slid too early uh, on Sunday, second and 10, infield goal range. He should have got the first down and then got down and maybe even taken contact on. But I hear what you're saying, and you're right. Kyler does protect himself very well. And and Adam, thank you. This is a great write-in. I Adam, round of applause. Well done. Thank you for writing in. I appreciate you challenging me because I think you're right, actually. Especially, especially with Kenny Pickett, man. Remember once, Kenny Pickett did a fake slide where he started to slide and then took off and ran for a touchdown. And that is so... Not cool. Because the minute you start sliding, the defender has to let off. If you want protection, you better get down. And so I think you're right. I don't think it was a penalty on Kenny Pickett. He did slide late. He slide slid later than the defender had time to react to. And if you wait, defenders have to commit to tackling you. If you wait to slide till the end, a defender's got to hit you because they can't assume you're going to slide anymore. And what you cannot do is let a quarterback just run right by you. So if a quarterback isn't getting down, you got to tackle them. And if they slide too late, that's on them. So Adam, once again, brilliant write-in. I totally agree. Upon reflection, you're right. That shouldn't have been a penalty. And remember, Kenny Pickett once did a fake slide. The most uncool thing you can possibly do as a quarterback. Because it's it's basically cheating. It's It feels like a loophole or exploitation of the rules to start a slide and then not actually slide. If he ever does that again, rock the living snot out of him. Anyway, Adam, I, I like your thought. Uh, thanks for the write-in. Well done. Ian K says, hey, Zach, I'm writing in to gloat about the Raiders. When Josh McDaniels was hired, I wrote in saying they made a mistake and should have stuck with Rick Basaccia, and now I feel validated. However, you defended the move to hire McDaniels. Do you still stand by your opinion? Sure, the Raiders haven't been as bad as the Broncos or Texans, but they have been incredibly underwhelming despite the talented offense. Do you believe they made a mistake hiring Josh McDaniels? Um, ENK, 
can you write in in like five more weeks, man? Or, or the end of the year? I, it's, I hear you, man. I hear you. I get it. It's, it just feels too early to say, like, I, I'm not trying to take away your moment and I, I respect you gloating. And I, I want you to have that moment where you get to celebrate and say, I was right. I, and I hope you get that, but we're five games in and five games in they're one and four, but the four losses have been really close games. Some of them to really good teams and their losses have combined for 14 points. Like, you know, it's definitely not going well for the Josh McDaniel era so far. And the Raiders keep finding ways to lose games. I'm not defending Josh McDaniels. I just feel like it's too early to say definitively he's a bad hire. Like, we're five games in. And Nathaniel Hackett, that was a bad hire in Denver. He's not been that bad. So I just, I don't know. I, ENK, I want you to get your moment. Uh, and I hope you do, actually, because I, I, I like when people get shined for being right. But I, I don't know that now's the time. I think we're a little too early to say that Josh McDaniels was a good or bad hire. Maybe maybe bad or good hire, because he looks like a bad hire, but it could work out, and I just, I'm not ready to commit to that either way yet. Zach writes in and says, hey, Zach, in, la- in this last week of NFL football, we had two head-scratching roughing the passer penalties, one against Atlanta in their game against Tampa. I can't remember the name of the guy who got the flag. And the other against Chris Jones against the Raiders. I think that all roughing the passer penalties should be a booth review to determine whether or not the defense did anything to warrant the flag. This could reduce the amount of this type of penalty and could also reduce fan suspicion of refs favoring certain players or teams. What are your thoughts? You nailed it, dude. Easy solution. Hey, roughing the passer gets called, you throw the flag, and then you verify. You just It's what happens in college football with targeting. You get a targeting call. They go, hey, that's targeting on the field. Let's double check it because we got to determine whether the guy's going to get kicked out of the game or not. And we're not going to kick you out on an arbitrary thing without looking at tape. The consequences are too big. Make roughing the passer reviewable. It's so simple. And here's what I love about it. You're going to have to show the replay over and over and over and over again. So if it's an egregious call and they want to stick with it, they got to double down on a call they showed national TV like 50 times and then justify it. I think it, it's the way to keep refs accountable. And I... I don't know why you can't review literally everything in the NFL. You know, when you get video evidence that the call is wrong, you should fix it. I Man, the most infuriating moment watching sports in my entire life was when Armando Galarraga, a pitcher for the Detroit Tigers, threw a perfect game, and the very last out of the game got called safe, wrongly by the ref, by the umpire, and they couldn't review it. You should be able to review everything in sports, because we have Everything's on video now, and if you see you're wrong, you fix it. That's what I would do, and it's it's frustrating we don't have that. All right, last question of the day. Dude, what a crazy episode. My my light's flickering. It's about to go out. I, I'm i in my third parking lot of the night. What is going on? <laughs> Actually, it's been a, it's like my fourth parking lot because I recorded the first part of the show during the day. I Man, I'm doing the best I can, you guys. <laughs> Nick Flames writes in. Nick says, hey, Zach. I know that we talk about quarterbacks elevating their team and their roster frequently. Not trying to say Daniel Jones is better than Aaron Rodgers, but with what I would argue was a worse overall roster, Daniel Jones led multiple game-winning drives with players like Matt Breida, 
David Sills, and Darius Slayton. Not insulting those guys, but they are not dynamic weapons. Saquon Barkley may be the main weapon, but Daniel Jones has been exactly what the Giants have needed him to be all year. When they need to play, he picks it up with his legs frequently, and he's often on time with the ball and has missed very few throws this year. He's been a quick decision maker and has utilized all the players on his team to his best ability. So my question is, do you agree with me? And do you think he is on pace to get more opportunities to start next year? I think Daniel Jones has proven he's a top 20 quarterback. So this year, uh, so far this year, in my opinion, also fun side tangent, Brian Dable is a coach of the year candidate. I absolutely agree about Brian Dable. Um, I think what's impressive about Daniel Jones is clearly he's learned the offense very quickly in New York. I mean, he, he's not making any big mistakes. He looks like a veteran. He looks like a guy who studies hard, who knows the game well, who understands how to learn quickly. Um, and, and the Giants are 4-1. and one. The one game they lost this year was to Dallas, and the offensive line was horrible. The team around Daniel Jones was awful. He got sacked five times. No quarterback could have succeeded in that game behind that offensive line. We're five games in. I feel like we've seen enough to say Daniel Jones is, is solid. And I think you build a run him because the, the Giants are too good to get a high enough draft pick to get Bryce Young. And then after Bryce Young, I'm, I'm actually not that impressed. I know that's blasphemous to say. I think the, the quarterback class, at, no, not this year, but next year is going to be even better. So I, I think you keep building around Daniel Jones and see what happens. You got a great head coach. And Daniel Jones, man... He's not that bad. He's he's really playing better. He's cleaning up the turnovers. He's making good decisions. He's been accurate. You gotta... Quarterbacks can get better. You can't judge him on the same metric you judged him on a while back because he's a better quarterback today than he was two years ago. And imagine Daniel Jones with the Dallas Cowboys roster or throwing to Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddell. You're telling me he wouldn't succeed? He would! Daniel Jones looks good. They got a great coach. I think you just keep building around him. I, I, I've seen enough to say it's enough positive to say he's kept his job for another year. Guys, that's all I have today. I love you. I appreciate you. I am so grateful you're tuning in. Um, this show has been chaotic. I've had fun with it, actually. I think that's the personality of the show in the truck now. Is it? It's sometimes going to have a different flavor. And I, I actually like it. Um, I think it's... There's added tension, actually. Where's the security guard? Is the guy in the truck next door going to stab me to death on video? That'd be hilarious. <laughs> Not actually, but like it would be great content. So you know what I mean? Like, I don't I think the I try to include I could just record the show and not talk about the drama around and the challenges of trying to record a podcast in my pickup truck. But I like including that stuff. I think it's part of the flavor of the show. And I think it makes it more interesting. So, um, I don't know. Those are my thoughts. I love you guys. I appreciate you. Hope you have a great day. Thursday Night Football is going to be very interesting. It's going to be Washington. Who is, it's, who is it? Washington and someone else. Someone else kind of sucks. Thursday Night Football. It's going to be... Oh, come on. Come on. The Bears and the Commanders. I'm I'm here for it, man. It's an excuse to get to watch Justin Fields and Carson Wentz, and there's not very many of those. So to be honest, I, I think it's going to be kind of fun. Games on Amazon Prime. Going to be a huge weekend of college football. 
I'll see you after Thursday Night Football. I love you. I appreciate you. I hope you have a great day. And uh, ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.